0: Ladies and gentlemen welcome back to the gray area today september 2nd and we've got a big announcement drum roll drew can i get a little drum roll no one's gonna hear that but that's hilarious <laughs> we, <laughs> yeah. can add
1: it. we can edit it in <laughs>
0: yeah yeah so today we have our very first guest uh on the gray area the episode that you're listening to while it is 9-2 today it's gonna drop on monday september 7th drew why uh tell listeners a little bit of who we got today
1: yeah we have uh you know uh, a young man who is doing really good work uh around the country been you know currently he's working actually as the organizing director of the south carolina democratic party um he's a former iowa hawkeye proud chicago native angel alicia man how you doing brother
2: Oh, you know me, man. I'm just always living the dream, just waiting for my next Portillo's Italian beef, as usual. <laughs> <me too. laughs>
1: I love to hear it, brother. I love to hear it, man. Well, Andrew, man, he has an extensive uh, experience. He has extensive experience working for uh, nonprofit organizations as well as political campaigns, pretty much all over the country so far in his in his pretty young career. But you know, he's pretty experienced already. Um, so, man, how you been, man? I know, I know, COVID has kind of taken everybody. You know, last what's six months and it's been, it's been, it's been a rough ride, but how you been holding up, man?
2: You know, I'll say, like I said, living the dream, just doing what I can. I'm doing pretty all right for a guy who has a really bad president some pretty bad uh, congressional and senatorial leaders, but you know, we're working <laughs> with what we've got. We're cleaning house. And you know, like I said, just waiting on that next Portillo's Italian beef.
1: Yeah, brother, I, I totally, I totally hear it, man. Have you been, uh, have you picked up any new hobbies since, uh, since, since going, you know, I guess virtual for work?
2: Uh, yeah, well, you know, I started dating this girl who plays tennis. So I've been playing tennis. Am I good at it? No. Do I like playing it? Yes. That's uh, <laughs> right. That's a thing that I picked up
1: in that's, recent times. That's awesome, man. I know I know me and Billy have been doing some extra shit just, you know, with the free time that we've had, just being at home all the time. I, I personally I uh picked, you know, went and bought a, a pretty nice camera, so I've been trying to work on my photography skills. So that's been that's been something I've picked up. Um I don't know, Billy, you want you want to talk about how you've been kinda uh spending your time since quarantine?
0: Yeah, I mean, without obviously with the exception of you know this podcast, me and Drew got rolling here. Uh, I've been reading a lot. I've found myself to be on Twitter reading stuff way too much.
1: Um, <laughs> way too much. Yeah. So and
0: and that gets to you know there's real articles, but then you get people just giving their spin. So I like I'm, I've been reading some pa- some paper books. You know that's nice. Been doing some yoga.
2: The old school uh, stuff. I'm surprised they taught you how to read at Shepard, man. I thought they just taught shapes and colors there. <laughs> Taking <They> <laughs> shots. Shot. Shot.
1: Shot. Hey, hey you, you, so you went You went to Hubbard, right? I went to Hubbard, yes, cool, I did. Man. Yeah, man. Uh, my, my mom actually graduated from Hubbard way back in the day. I don't even know what year. Shout out to the. Uh,
2: Greyhound Nation, yeah. The, the, the loud group. and proud, loud and proud. I will hey, say, yeah. Billy, you guys in football all the time. When we played a couple times, uh, freshman and sophomore year.
1: Yeah, I yeah. That. Early on, you guys, will you guys beat us in the playoffs, um, and then I think we beat you guys one year. Uh, yeah,
2: right. and then we all peaked, and then life just went downhill from there. <laughs> <pretty much. laughs>
1: basically, basically, back back. Uh, yeah, it's it's been a while. My football days have been long gone. Um, but yeah, man, we're excited to have you on the podcast, man. So I guess I guess from there, we're you know we can jump right into the interview. Um, if you don't have anything else, you want to you know let us know what you've been, that you've been doing since. Uh, going remote.
2: Yeah, I'm just ready to get right into it whenever you are. Let's Let's do it.
1: Let's do it, brother. Let's do it, brother. Yeah, man. So back when I first met you in college, uh, you were already heavily involved with uh, politics. I know you were um, heavily involved with the Iowa student government um, on campus. Talk to us a little bit about when you first realized you wanted to get into politics and kind of what sparked your interest there, man.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, So for me, sort of the big moment, and it was like a big wow moment for me comes really a long time ago when I was a kid, and it just sort of stems back to the community that I grew up in, you know, being born and raised on the south side of Chicago, and I was raised by a single mother. Um, People oftentimes talk about not having, you know, two nickels to rub together. It seemed like sometimes we hardly had two cents to rub together, so growing up in that community really got me interested in the idea of sort of who government was and who they were working for, but more importantly, I became very critical of who they weren't working for, and it became more apparent as time went on that they weren't working for folks in the communities like the one that I grew up in and ones that mirror that. So time and time again, you know, just being able to drive up the street and seeing significantly better living conditions, better schools, it was pretty apparent that the system was sort of configured in a way to keep marginalized folks and folks um, from communities of color and lower socioeconomic status communities sort of stagnant rather than giving them tools to be equipped for success. So in a lot of ways, that was a really big moment in my life, just growing up in that environment and atmosphere and soaking that all in and sort of taking it for what it was worth and realizing that if I went into this work, maybe someday in the future, I would be able to sort of change the trajectory of what our politics is because right now it's nothing but divisive rhetoric that keeps the wealthy and well-connected on the up and up and the rest of us fighting each other, you know, fighting for scraps and all that sort of thing. And then Obama's candidacy in 08 was a big selling point for me in a number of ways too. Just seeing this young, ambitious guy um, going to propel himself into the highest office in the land and talking about hope and change in a very dire time in our country, I think was really something that we needed at the time. And I think he ignited a larger-than-life movement that has sort of taken different forms in recent years. But ultimately, like, his formula for community organizing is, like, unmatched. And I think in a lot of ways today, we're really seeking to institute that sort of structure to get people involved in the process. And to me, politics is really about just – pulling up new seats to the table that weren't there before and really amplifying the voices of folks who feel like they're unheard. Um, So that's sort of how I became interested and sort of, you know, the rest is a little bit history along the way to where I am now, but you know, we'll get right into all of that throughout the duration of the interview.
1: Yeah, man, that's, that's, that's honestly awesome. Um, I guess for me, right. It took a lot of, I guess, uh, education, um, especially throughout college when I kind of, when I started realizing, uh, more so the stuff that you realized when you were a little bit younger than I was similar background I grew up on the south side but um, we moved out to the suburbs back when I was like seventh or eighth grade so I guess you know when I actually started developing my own opinions uh, and it had more opinions outside of my parents opinions um, you know I, I wasn't really seeing what you were seeing in the city anymore because I was out in the burbs but right I had similar experience I guess those uh, aha moments right when you start learning about hey the people that are supposed to be working for you they're not really working for you they're working against you and they're you know maintaining the status quo maintaining their you know power or whatever whatever you want to call it um so man that's, that's a pretty awesome awesome story that you kind of knew early on that this is something that you want to pursue and i can already feel your impact that you you've had so far you know the short time that you've been um heavily involved right um and and i'm excited to see where you go from here man that's for sure
2: Yeah, definitely. I'm just glad to be able to be here today and kind of tell folks a little bit about, you know, what's going on, because I do believe everybody has an opportunity to get involved. It's just a matter of folks really equipping them with the tools to be successful and doing this sort of work. I think people feel like government and politics in general is for like wealthy folks, well-connected folks, but the reality is the, you know, garbage men picking up the trash on a Monday morning and the janitors cleaning up the food fights in the cafeterias need this just as much as everyone else, you know, just being involved to ensure that their interests are represented. So that's really what I'm here for, to fight for the little guy, because it's really a lot of where, you know, a lot of people where I grew up are sort of in that position. So
0: An Um, honorable position to take. Um, I did have a question. You mentioned when you brought up how Obama was kind of a big selling point and how – the way he did his grassroots campaign is affecting the way a lot of campaigns are going. Now we've seen from, you know, local level, state level in, up to the federal level with someone like Bernie Sanders, where it's a lot of emphasis on running that grassroots campaign. So I guess what, what has those campaigns looked like for you? I guess when you first started getting involved as a volunteer, And now at your current position where this is kind of like your life, your full-time job, if you could just kind of walk us through what a typical day in angels life looks like.
2: Yeah, certainly. So it has definitely changed quite a bit over the duration of time that I've been involved in politics. When I first started out, I was knocking doors. Uh, I was actually a paid canvasser. So I was doing what some volunteers will do, except I was getting a little bread here on the side to do it. which is great. Um, and I think just starting out in that way, because a lot of folks just generally start out as field organizers, which is like sort of the medium level thing that I'd went to. Now, as a regional organizing director, I'm in more of a management role. But starting out as a paid canvasser really equipped me with this unique skill set to go out and persuade and have conversations with folks. And, you know, I wasn't always having conversations with folks who agreed with me on everything. And I think that's really an important component of doing this work, is reaching across the aisle and not necessarily writing anyone off, no matter what our assumptions may be. And I know it's easy to do that. I do it all the time sometimes, but certainly, you know, the day to day structure of like working in politics, essentially, is, you know, you start at the top of the morning, setting yourself up for success, sort of setting your benchmarks, you know, where you seek to aim um, for where you want to land at the end of the day, you know, whatever amount of calls you're going to make, however meetings you're going to have generally right now for me, that just looks like setting my organizers up for success. So giving them, you know, call quotas, ensuring that they're, um, you know, crossing the Ts and dotting the Is, if you will, and doing all that they can to build coalitions so that that could look anything like reaching out to the local NAACP chapter and sort of seeing what they have going on over there with like voter registration initiatives, or that could look something like working with county party chairs to host virtual forums and town halls and things like that. So a lot of what we do is what we call DVC, direct voter contact initiatives. You know, making phone calls, sending texts obviously not knocking doors right now, but in the past that was a very strategic tactic that had a lot of return on investment um so it kind of varies on the day-to-day structure in politics nothing will ever be uniform like something will come up every five seconds and you're just like oh not this again you know one of my organizers today was like oh sorry for the short notice to set up this meeting tomorrow and i said to her you know we're organizers that's like a million years in advance for us everything's just rapidly changing and it's just like so wild so it's hard to pinpoint what a normal day looks like because no day is a normal day given the nature of our political circus that we're living in right now but generally speaking it's just a bunch of meetings you know getting folks involved ensuring that um, we do all that we can to reach out to constituency groups and you know targeted demographic groups that we're seeking to turn out basically everything is all about having conversations with folks selling them on you know your candidate in particular because obviously you work for the person because they have a vision and a plan that you want to see enacted and just getting folks up to speed with all that stuff and then converting them into the volunteer world where it's all about maintaining a robust operation. And that includes, you know, expanding as well. So, yeah, just like working with organizers to sort of strategize on the specific turf we're allocated. Right now I'm in the bottom four counties in South Carolina, which are Beaufort, uh, Colleton, Hampton, and Jasper out down in Lowcountry. Um, But yeah, I've worked all over the place. And again, it's always just an amazing experience to be a part of. And the people that you meet along the way and the volunteers, they become kind of like family to you. So I think that's one of the biggest reasons why I haven't left this work, no matter how chaotic and hectic the hours may be. And, you know, I could obviously make a lot more money doing something else. But I think the impact to me is the biggest selling point. The way that you're able to go into those communities and get people you know, to the polls and activated in politics in a way that they haven't been before just really fills my heart with joy and is a big part of why I continue to do this so that's kind of a long-winded version hopefully it gave you somewhat of a peek behind the curtain but yeah it's it's a little hard to say it in, in like concrete structure what a day looks like because every day is a little bit different
1: yeah no I think that was great I think you kind of painted the picture um explain exactly right <laughs> what you do um I did want to mention something that we kind of glossed over right I know you've worked uh, I mentioned that you worked for several different organizations as well as several different uh, polit- uh, political campaigns, uh, a long list that you sent us, man. Why don't you go through that and talk to me a little bit about like your journey and where you started and kind of how you got to where you are uh, right now, if, if you don't mind. Man.
2: Yeah, definitely. So, you know, just a random kid from the South side rolling up to the university of Iowa. i never even been to the state of Iowa, never even been to the campus, but I knew it's where I wanted to be, you know, the caucus, the Hawkeyes, all that good stuff. I uh, met a guy at my floor. is actually one of my best friends, and uh, turns out his dad was a state representative in Illinois, very well known state rep, who actually led the impeachment proceedings against Rod Blagojevich, even though he was another Democrat. Um, this guy always put, you know, integrity in front of partisan politics, which I thought was really big. So I met his dad, and he asked me. To come out and work on his campaign. He was leaving the state legislature because Bruce Rauner was the governor. Nothing was happening. He felt like he could do more at the local level. So he ran for county board chairman in McHenry County, Illinois, which I don't know how much you all know about that, but it's a very conservative county. Deeply read. Henry Hyde, the anti-abortionist guy, was from the congressional district out there, and it's the kind of place you go and you see Confederate flags, and you're like, "Hey, man, we're in the North." You know, you ever teach geography <laughs> in schools up here? But uh, you know, they got that kind of stuff working out there. So, you know, for me, it was a really eye-opening experience because Democrats are written off there, and that's just, I think, in a lot of ways, because Democrats don't compete there. And I have the firm belief that you don't win where you don't compete. Um, so, going out there, knocking on doors in this rural America and this conservative America and this suburban wealthy affluent homogeneously white america was a really different experience from where i grew up but i was pretty effective in the conversations i was able to have with these people and you know living with my friend and his dad who was the candidate at the time i was really able to soak in sort of a lot about like retail politics and sort of how that plays into campaigning and all that stuff. We ended up winning that race by 15 points. So it really showed me the promise of the work um, on the ground, ended up going back there the following summer working for J.B. Pritzker, um, who's now obviously the governor of Illinois, doing some great work there. And, uh, you know, shortly after college, I was like, what, what's next? You know, you're going to get your degree. What are you going to do? Um, and word was obviously out about the work that I was doing in McHenry County. So I was asked to come back out and be the field organizer. This is my first field organizer job uh, with the Sean Caston campaign. Before that I did paid canvas for Pritzker and Jack Franks. And I you know became the field organizer for McHenry County. I just recall the first day that I took that job, I went to the Downers Grove headquarters and, you know, met the candidate, all this great stuff. People were just like, you know, you're not here to win this county because it's just not going to happen. McHenry County is historically, you know, red, all this sort of stuff. But if you close down the margins a little bit, that's gonna enable us to really win this thing. We wound up winning that county by eight points. So again, for me, very redefining moment of purpose that showed sort of the backing related to a robust field operation, having those conversations with people and all all that kind of stuff. Then again, a big selling point in politics that kind of has kept me in this was I was able to go back home to Chicago and I worked on the mayoral race. I worked for Susana Mendoza, who's a comptroller obviously the whole mayoral thing was a little crazy and that was the first campaign uh, I was a part of where we didn't win. But to me it still was a moral victory because we went out and engaged with constituencies that were traditionally not, you know, necessarily taken into account for uh, going out on the South side, you know, knocking doors, having conversations, getting volunteers who had never done it before to be active in their communities and sort of, Set that foundation for future cycles, I think, was really a big redefining moment for me. And I I keep talking about redefining moments because moments just continuously keep building and adding so many layers onto all of this. And, you know, shortly after that, uh, I just remember being, I don't even remember the name of the place. It's some, like, like spin-off Mexican Moe's Cantina. Moe's Cantina. We were in River North.
1: Um, (laughs) A couple Bud
2: Lights deep. Yeah, (laughs) seeing the results coming and just thinking, Shit. We're not going to win this thing. You know, Lori Lightfoot's going up. She's, she did it the right way. Her people were, you know, they were crazy with field. People didn't think she had a chance when she was an outsider. Outsider politics. So, you know, she had a robust field operation. That stuff works. And, you know, you obviously couldn't bank on name recognition the way people thought that they could in that race. Obviously, Bill Daly and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I just remember waking up that next day and, you know, it's like, well, I don't have a job anymore. That's great. What's next? And, you know, that Sunday morning I was in Iowa City because I came to Iowa, visit some of my friends to, like, you know, cut loose sort of process everything that had happened that week and uh, ended up taking a job with Elizabeth Warren's campaign. I was one of the first field organizers on the ground in the state of Iowa, um, worked for her all the way through the caucus and was redeployed to California. That was just an amazing experience in itself because that kind of organizing was more deeply embedded in the community building aspect of organizing rather than the traditional X's and O's of knocking the doors and making the calls. This was about, you know, who do you know and how can we get them involved? This is about having, you know, a bunch of happy hours and coffee chats. I was doing things like walk it out for war and nature policy chats that the New York times wrote about and pups and policy in the park. You know, I've never been on a campaign that's like, Oh, you want people to bring their puppies so we can read policy proposals together. That's a great idea, but they said it was a good idea and it got a lot of people to come. So that was pretty great. California was a whole thing. I'll, I'll gloss over it. Cause it was a blur. Great state. Um, but yeah, it was just a whole experience in itself. And then shortly after COVID hit, all that stuff I ended up taking a job with, organizing together in north carolina um i know drew drew you still out in north carolina
1: i am brother i'm in raleigh
2: in raleigh i was out in the triad area obviously remotely so uh greensboro area but yeah working there that organization sought to set a really really strong foundation for the presumptive nominee which is now joe biden so essentially that organization was really put forth to get organized quicker than ever because we understood three days after donald trump won he immediately went and had a big old rally and all that sort of stuff and has been like raising crazy amounts of money so that group basically was just like hey let's get our shit together earlier than we ever have because we're really going to need it against a guy like donald trump so we're you know coaching training and empowering organizers to be ready to go and join coordinated campaigns and getting these volunteer leaders sort of set up to be able to step into these roles immediately rather than you know. October rolls around. Then you start training and I'm like, they're already fired up doing the thing. Um, so that organization was great, but obviously it wrapped up. It was very short term. And to me, I was just wondering, Hey, will I stay in campaigns again? Um, what will I do next? Am I going to you know, continue to do this? It's just like taking a toll. And then, you know, this Jamie Harrison and the South Carolina stuff sort of came up. And, you know, again, being from the North, you have certain assumptions and, you know, it's wrong because now I'm down here and I'm sort of seeing, well, I'm not physically down here. I'm working down here. I'm seeing the potential that exists in these Southern states for Democrats. It's crazy. You guys are looking at me like, what is this guy talking about? But seriously, there's a lot of untapped potential down here. And I think these people are just hungry for infrastructure and for someone to give them an opportunity to make a change and sort of make that splash and build a way for other people to ride. Because right now, you know, folks are just not really giving them a whole lot of attention in the way that they would deserve. And I think we have a prime opportunity to defeat a flip flopper like Lindsey Graham, who, you know, will go whichever way the wind is blowing on whatever given day And we get a chance to put a guy who, you know, has this really strong life experience that had gotten him to live up to America's promise, but understanding that that doesn't necessarily exist for everyone in America right now. So his story is just so powerful. I urge you guys to look in them and I'm just really excited that I ended up taking a shot working down South. And I think we're going to turn a lot of heads on November 3rd and really make some history. That's going to really spill over beyond, Um, just this cycle. I think what we're doing right now is rewriting the next chapter of American history. The pen is on the paper. It's in our hands and really what the next 50 years of this country is going to look like will really be defined by this election in my view. And that was, again, a really long winded version of sort of my uh, career path, but who knows where it'll take me next. I'm just really excited to be able to get people involved in the process. That's really what it's all about to me. 100%
1: 100% brother and don't worry about the long-winded answers man that's we you know I want to hear the whole story I want to paint the picture for the viewers and I want to also paint the picture for myself man because I'm you know I'm learning just as just as much as they are um you know I know back in 2016 uh, you were uh you know prior while, while you were involved with the wow my my words are jumbled I know back in college and the 26 uh 2016 election you were you know a Bernie supporter and then I know you got a, you got an opportunity to work on the Warren campaign um, both were seen as two of the you know most progressive candidates in the the Democratic primary for the upcoming presidential election. What were some of the differences that you saw between the two, and kind of what made you uh, you know lean lean towards Warren, uh, if there was anything uh, in particular?
2: Yeah, definitely. I think Bernie again was a big pivotal moment in my life when I supported him and his movement that he generated and i still think we're seeing a lot of the impacts of the movement uh for better or for worse than both tidbits is always you know yin and yang or whatever um and biggest distinction between the two and again in 2016 i wanted elizabeth warren to run but she didn't and sanders was the really viable progressive alternative and really was putting forth those big bold and innovative ideas that have sort of found them way their way into like the mainstream democratic party per se um the biggest selling point that the sort of like made me choose between the two was sort of she took everything a little bit further than he was able to and turned and I think that a lot of it stems back from like the nature of her um, background as an educator and as you know she was an educator for folks with special needs then ended up becoming a professor of law at Harvard so I think that educational background enabled her to sort of generate these super comprehensive proposals that covered all of the bases. So the implementation stuff of how we're going to get it passed through, whether that be, you know, pressuring Congress to get things through or abolishing the filibuster to ensure that we could get past that roadblock or utilizing executive action to get things done. And then like the monetary components, I think she was just a little bit more clear on, uh, you know, all the specifics, all of the commas, all of the bands, whatever you want to say it or however you want to say it. She really showed the ways that we were going to generate the revenue and how it was effectively going to be allocated to implement policy positions in a way that I feel like he sort of left a lot of room for interpretation and ambiguity. And I think that's a real big fault and disservice to the movement to a certain extent, because now we're seeing a lot of pushback on like Medicare for all because of the form that it was brought forth. And I know she was obviously a little bit late later to the party to uh, introduce her plan and all that kind of stuff. But um, I do truly think that she sort of, perfected what he had initially put forth in a way that was much needed. And again, like none of that would have even been, maybe, maybe not none of it, but a good chunk of it wouldn't have even been discussed. I think had he not ignited that sort of um, energy surrounding those issues. So that, that was a big selling point for me. And again, like I said, in 2016, I wanted her to run. I was one of the ready for Warren kind of people who just saw this tough fighter in her is going to really, you know, reel in Washington that was going to really piss off the CEOs and executives and represent people uh, rather than folks who are just seeking to reap in benefits and profit. Um, But yeah, you know, I still got a lot of love for Bernie. I still got a lot of respect for him and the movement that he ignited. I just think uh, to a certain extent, uh, things kind of a little bit derailed from sort of the direction we're heading in with that movement to a certain degree.
0: Yeah, Yeah.
1: Oh my bad. Go in, go in there. I was
0: gonna say, yeah, I, I think you definitely hit the nail on the head that Bernie was very conceptual with a lot of his ideas. That you know, amongst several of the other candidates like Elizabeth Warren or whoever, whether they you know actually were planning on implementing things like Medicare for All or uh, free college stuff like that, uh, loan forgiveness. I think that he, like you mentioned, the conceptual ideas really were what we needed in 2016, especially with so few candidates running on the democratic side. Mm -hmm. So I guess now that we're at this point, right? I, I personally was a, I voted for Bernie in the primary still for this year, but I also was a fan of Elizabeth Warren. I think that, like you mentioned, a lot of her policies were great. They're in depth and they gave people kind of a, uh, a process to look at, uh, for the steps forward. Now, in. I just need to
2: pause there real quick and just say shout out Andrew Yang. I got to give the Yang uh, a I
0: was going to say
2: it. That. Yes. I love He's <laughs> great, man. One of the people I'm working with right now was in the Yang gang. A uh, couple of them, actually. Yeah, great people. I just wanted to shout them out because I think, in a way, he kind of ignited a different sort of movement of outsiders to really get involved in politics as people were just so enthusiastic about his candidacy. And he was talking about things people weren't talking about, which I always think is important.
0: Yeah. No, I'm I'm glad you said that. Um, I, you know, if I could look in my room, I have my math hat in here. I, um, I'd say Elizabeth Warren, Bernie and Andrew Yang were my top three. I would have been very happy. Obviously uh, being more on the progressive side, I was a little disappointed in having Joe Biden as the nominee, but at this point we have Joe Biden. He selects Kamala Harris and we're running against Donald Trump Uh, Now, when it comes to the general election, um, I kind of want to just hear your thoughts. Obviously, I know you're going to be a a Biden supporter on November 3rd, but what are your thoughts about how close the race are and things people need to know? I'm a little more pessimistic about this just because, you know, incumbent presidents usually have an easier time. And plus, we saw a very crazy election in 2016 with Donald Trump. Drew is a little more optimistic that... Joe Biden's going to win. I just kind of wanted to hear your thoughts about November 3rd and which way things are swaying uh, out in the field that you're seeing.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think it's really hard to say because of the unpredictable nature of like everything that happened in 2016, we thought it was going to go one way. A little bit. I know it went another way. I mean, obviously I knew that shit hit me like a train, um, but I think the, severity of the Democratic parties zeroing in on the importance of these battleground states is going to be key um, for a number of reasons. I think the infrastructure they put forth is unmatched. Obviously, Trump's space is very much committed, but there's a lot of disaffected uh, Republican voters who see this party changing from the one that they grew up knowing um, in a lot of ways. And so, for a lot of us, maybe that might not be the case. Uh, we might see a lot of similarities in the old and new Republican Party, if you will. But I do. Um, kind of resonate a little bit more with drew in the sense that I'm optimistic about our prospects. You know, my girlfriend's an organizer in Michigan uh, with the Michigan democratic party. And they're doing some incredible and immensely just super comprehensive stuff out here. And it's pretty incredible to see that. Just knowing that that's happening in other battleground States, I think we have a good shot, obviously in Arizona, great Senate race there with Mark Kelly, North Carolina, I think Cal Cunningham beats Tom Tillis. So I think basically what I'm saying is we're going to do very well in these swing states, which is crucial on the path to victory. But the big selling point of how I think this gets done is the lower ticket races this time. Usually the coattails or the presidential candidate kind of carries folks across the finish line. I think the energy and enthusiasm in a lot of these congressional districts, like look to like Illinois 6 and Illinois 14 with Sean Caston, who I worked for, and Lauren Underwood. Those are districts that had historically gone to Republicans, but we saw this new wave of energy for Democrats in the 2018 midterms with the blue wave, with you know suburban women going for Democrats this time rather than you know teetering the line of uh, supporting Republican candidates. So I think we built a new consensus and coalition that's really going to get us forward, and I think we're going to um, turn some heads in some of these southern states. Like will you know Biden directly win these states? I cannot predict that, but I do think there is really. A lot of hope for like the Senate races and things of that sort of nature, and then obviously in the battleground districts. Like I said, there's some key congressional races, in uh, Democratic hubs that are going to turn out, and just the Senate races. You know, I think I think we win in Montana. I think we win in Maine. I think we even win in Iowa. I think Joni Ernst is on her way out too. Um, But yeah, I think those sort of propel him across the finish line, and then you know we just put some icing on the cake by bringing home a victory in South Carolina, and hopefully. Out in Georgia, you know, they got the special election. Then, uh, obviously, John Ossoff's running, too. Um, That's another thing. So I I think I'm feeling pretty good. But at the end of the day, I'd rather just keep my sleeves rolled up and foot on the gas pedal to get the job done rather than banking on polls and stuff like that. Um, But, yeah, I do understand where both of you are coming from, and I've been on both sides of it, um, kind of teetering back and forth throughout the duration of the cycle. But the more and more I do the work and the more and more I'm on the ground the more confident I am that Donald Trump was actually a blessing in disguise to show the, you know, really hateful and not necessarily marketed or showcase side of this country. And I think in a lot of ways it's going to band people together to move forward, especially with the way that he's handled COVID. I think it's been really poor and I think people are looking for strong, firm leadership. And I feel like folks feel like they're going to get that with uh, Joe Biden. Obviously again, not, not our first choice, but we're going to do what we can to get him in there. And then, um, keep building on the progress of the movements that have been ignited before he obviously solidified the whole thing and everything. But yeah, we got our work cut out for us, so let's just keep doing the damn thing. Basically, is where I'm
1: at with this. 100% agree, man. And I, I love how you highlight right not just the right the general pres- their, the presidential election and how how important some of these Senate races are as well as these congressional congressional districts, right? Because um, at, at the end of the day, you know they're affecting policy. If if more than maybe even on the on the federal level, so um, I, I'm ha- I'm happy that you you know brought that up as well. One thing that I did want to ask you, right? There's a lot a lot of discourse within the Democratic Party as far as you have the um, the more progressive side of the House, right? The AFCs of the world, the Ilhan Omars of the world, and then we have the you know the the more um, I don't know if you want to call them moderate Democrats or the legacy Democrats where you have like the Chuck Schumer's, um, Nancy Pelosi's, right? And it seems like they can't agree on anything these days. Where do you see like the future of the Democratic Party going? Um, and as far as like the two party system and how, you know, obviously there's other parties, but they don't really have as much power with, with the way that we, you know, way, way things are right now. Where do you see that going also in the future?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean it's hard to say. Um, but I do certainly see this insurgency in the progressive wing of the party. And it's not only happening at like a national level. I'm seeing it even in like the Illinois State Party. Um you got the southwest side, a lot of different things are happening there. There's a lot of dynasties have fallen, obviously Ed Burke and his brother, I always forget his name, Dan Burke. I don't know how much you know about those guys, but a lot of things have changed. A lot of (laughs) things are changing. out there. Yeah. Yeah. That's the whole thing. Uh, A lot of things are changing. I think once Mike Madigan's out of there too, he's, he's my state representative technically back home. Um, A lot is changing, but yeah, we've seen progressive wins at those levels and I think it's just really indicative of what's to come for the future. I think the more, that we energize and activate the youth vote, the more representative these sort of candidates and then you know, become elected officials will become to represent progressive policies and ideals. Because I firmly do believe this generation is on to something. They just, <clears throat> excuse me, this generation is on something. They just don't really know it yet. A lot of folks don't realize that millennials are the largest voting block in America. And they really don't know the electoral force that comes with that. And I think a lot of the work that we're doing on the ground is um, ensuring that they gain this vast knowledge and not only that, but act on it. So I do certainly see the party going in a more progressive direction. Will there be a lot of pushback from the establishment? Of course, because there always is going to be. But like so many great you know, activists that have come before us, they never stop when the going gets rough. They just keep pushing forward in their quest for you know, fighting for what's right. So I do think that the Democratic Party in itself will become certainly more of the consensus progressive party. Who knows what will happen to the Republican Party or even if there will even be one, given the craziness that's happening over there. But I certainly do think we need to have a real deep internal reflection of who we are as a party and who we want to be and who we can be. Because right now, I think um, we're seeing a lot of different things depending on which angle you look at it from and uniformity and uh party unity is going to be important to continue to build on the progress and success. And I think, again, I think the progressives are really onto something here and they're really going, I'm not going to say they're going to like hijack the party cause that's like negatively connotated or whatever. But I think certainly some outsiders are going to ruffle feathers and really push the party toward a more prosperous, progressive direction and start delivering results in some of these policy ideas that we have. Cause it's certainly not too far fetched to implement some of them. If you look at other countries that are doing the same things, you know we're the wealthiest one on on earth so it's like sky's the limit for us it's just a matter of unifying the people around these common objectives to make it happen i think a lot of that starts with community organizing and you know again bernie really showed us that the country is a lot more progressive than we than we thought and as crazy as it sounds there's obviously those bernie trump supporters that exist too we just want to see something different
1: That's such an oxymoron that that even exists. I can't even, I I don't even understand it, but you're right. It's a thing. (laughs) Those are the
2: people where they're just angry at the system and want something different. They want an outsider who's not going to give them the run of the mill of business as usual, which is what we get with the Schumers and Pelosi's. And it's like, yes, they have milestone things. Yes, they've done great things. But also when you look at, you know, where the money comes from, comes from and sort of how that redirects the priorities. I think that that's just the biggest thing that's wrong with politics is the way that money has sort of, infiltrated the system
1: yeah man i want to jump in there so i right like with the establishment the establishment democrats that, that we're talking about right i know i know i don't want to pick on Nancy and, and chuck but they're the easiest ones to to bring up just because they're the most prominent um I, I draw a lot of parallels to them as as i see in the corp- corporate world in america because i'm in corporate and it's like you say all the right things like um you know when you're In public, and when you're, you know, when something something happens, you know, you're very supportive. You're, you're kissing babies, shaking hands, doing the right thing. But you know, behind the scenes, it doesn't feel like they're doing the actual work to, you know, make make real change and make real change happen. Smoke and
2: mirrors, smoke and mirrors. It's all about projecting an image and then doing another thing in the backroom deals that they strike. It's the yeah, it's the whole thing.
1: Exactly, exactly, man, and. Um, that, that's, that's one thing that I think is, is, has been like glaringly obvious these last, you know, maybe eight years, maybe that's just me, you know, getting older and realizing it for myself, but, um, you know, they definitely are onto something with, right. The progressive movement, right. With, um, these grassroots campaigns, not taking PAC money, not taking money from pharma, not taking money from tech, things like that. Um, which, you know, I, I don't, (laughs) I don't know if, you know, it makes much sense for you to be, you know, advocating for. You know, Medicare for all, and then you're, you know, taking money from these, you know, big insurance companies or big pharma companies, things like that, right? It just doesn't, it just all doesn't make sense to me, right? Um, you can't be fighting for both. Um, so obviously, we don't, you know, we want people to land on their feet, but at the same time, it just feels like something's got to change and it feels like that change is coming here soon. So I'm pretty excited to see, you know, where the, you know, where the next, you know, four, eight, 10, 12 years takes us. Um, but for you, man, what what are some of the, the policies that you would like to see passed, you know, at a federal level, um, you know, with the potential Biden, Biden campaign.
2: Yes, yeah, certainly. I know the Green New Deal is very ambitious, but I do think that there is no planet B, and we certainly have to be doing all that we can to invest in renewable energy. Um, not only is it like efficient and effective, but it creates decent paying union jobs, which I think a lot of the country is desperate for. And it really, really pushes us forward from like a national security standpoint to not be reliant on foreign energy and oil and all that sort of stuff in a big way. So I think implementing like certain proposals related to, you know, ideas that are interwoven within that broad sort of thing, you know, infrastructure and all that kind of stuff is going to be important. So for me, I would just like to see aggressive action on climate. I think climate is so intersectional in a number of ways. And it's also, when you look at it from a certain perspective, we could really acknowledge the climate almost mostly immediately impacts communities of color and marginalized communities and the, obviously folks with lower income, like those areas. Um, so I think that's super important. Like, you know, Flint, all those other places, Chicago public schools had lead in the water, the ones that I went to, you know? So I think tackling that head on is going to, sort of check a number of boxes for me because with investing in green energy, obviously you're saving the planet and all this sort of stuff, but also creating a lot of decent paying jobs and putting people to work. And I think, you know, the Republicans are always talking about handouts and handouts. I don't think the American people really want a handout. I think they want a hand up. And I think it's really on the government to sort of provide that to a certain extent. Like obviously they cannot give you the world on a platter, but what they can do is give you an opportunity to make something. And it's increasingly apparent that the American dream is not within arm's reach anymore, especially from folks in communities like the one that I grew up in. So, you know, I guess uh, the short of that is just aggressive action on climate and creating a hell of a lot of jobs along the way to put America to work and get us back on the path to being, you know, the country that we really ought to be and not the country that we have in the last four years. And I think a lot of this is, you know, drawn back to more than just the last four years, it's easy to sort of pinpoint his administration and presidency as everything that's wrong with this country. But when you look at the historical components of what this country is and what this country could have been and what this country still can be, it's pretty clear that we got a lot of work to do. And I think, you know, you can love America and be critical of it. And I think that's something that the Republican Party has become disillusioned with. And they're sort of like, you know, you hate America if you're like very critical of certain aspects of it. But I think the true meaning of caring about your home or whatever you want to call it is wanting to see growth um, for the people there and just for the community and the culture. So I'm really excited to see what they got going on that. Cause it's pretty evident to Donald Trump. Um, I mean, I think the only good thing he has done on climate is signing representative Joe Cunningham's bill to ban offshore drilling, um, which obviously had a lot of bipartisan support and stuff too, which is great. It shows an opportunity that we could work together to provide common sense solutions. But yeah, I think we need a Democrat and the White House to push forward on these proposals. Cause really we're running out of time here with climate. It's pretty, pretty bizarre. What do you really look into? It? I
0: re- I really like what you said um, like a minute back that, you know, a lot of Americans, we don't want handouts. Uh, we want to hand up. I I That's kind of what you get. Maybe not so much uh, from people our age, but a lot of, there's a lot of value in hard work in America, despite what, you know, older people might think about millennials and Gen Z. We like to work. It's not that we want a handout. It's more, you want, you want to address the things that are unfair in the system we have. And mm-hmm. it's, it's great that you pointed out how Republicans say that considering, you know, you look at the reason, the, I mean, the one coronavirus relief bill, and what was that filled with? That was handouts for corporations, right? Like, those it, it, you look at the, the quote unquote small business loans. A lot of the people who receive those loans, you see big names like uh, like Shake Shack, and you see the Yeezy company and the Los Angeles Lakers, and it's it's really kind of pushes that narrative more, right? We don't know who has a stake, who is getting these handouts, because it's certainly not the average Americans with you know one, $1 twelve hundred dollar check. We've got, we're on the verge of what is now a large eviction crisis. And I do agree that you know come November 3rd, I think Joe Biden and the Democrats could start leading the way that we could stop giving these handouts to the big corporations who don't need them and start helping the everyday people who are working hard because they love America and they love to uh, just live in this country. I I did want to paint a picture for you real quick, Angel. Right? So it's November 4th, right? Joe Biden wins the presidency. Obviously, with the nature of your work on campaigns, you, as you've mentioned, you've been on a couple of different campaigns, and those campaigns eventually end. Now, fast forward 10 years from now, where do you see yourself in politics? Do you, I, I don't want to sound so much as a job interview, but... I'm wondering, what do you see getting out of politics? Do you think that you'll stay on this road of, you know, organizing and just working your way up in cases of that and constantly going campaign to campaign? Or do you envision something else for the future of Angel Yeah,
2: definitely. I think Elizabeth Warren said it the best when she suspended her campaign and we were on a conference call with all the field staff. You know, she said, our work continues. The fight goes on and big dreams never die. That has been something that has stuck with me and echoed in my head for whatever amount of days it's been since she spread her campaign back in March. Um, I definitely want to run for office one day. I do firmly believe there's a lot of inadequacies in the system. And I think given the nature of where I come from, I could provide a unique perspective. And, you know, I never plan on being a bought and sold politician who's just going to you know, be a, someone walking in and lockstep with this party because there's a D next to my name. I'm going to be someone who's going to work every single day to ensure that the folks who cast their ballots for me are proud of that vote and never feel any other way. I'm going to make sure every day that I work as hard as I can to give regular Americans a fair shake in, in an economy that clearly isn't working for them anymore and hasn't been for a long time. So for me, the next 10 years, it's hard to sort of give a general outline of it, but eventually, you know, running for office, hopefully successful in that endeavor and it's more about um, helping people rather than just winning and sort of garnering a fancy title or whatever for me it's all about the folks that i grew up around and making sure that their children have a more prosperous country Because right now again we're just taking so many steps backwards when it's pretty evident that we need to be moving forward to make this happen so for me yeah definitely running for office which office and then where who knows all up for interpretation but I just know that I want to help people wherever I'm at and I think I'll always be a community organizer as at heart and I'm never going to forget the work that I've done on the ground and the experiences that I've had and also more importantly the people along the way who have shared their stories with me that's the biggest thing that gets me going that's what gets me out of the bed on those days where it's hard to get up is just remembering someone who you know, decided to commit x amount of hours per week because this you know, politician in Washington who gets this great health care thinks that they could strip someone's health care because they have a pre existing condition, which my mom also does have a pre-existing condition. She has Crohn's, but I take health care very seriously. Um, so, yeah, again, it's very hard to say what the next 10 years look like, but definitely running for office, definitely um, being a strong, independent voice to represent people and really put forth big, bold, innovative ideas to deliver results and work with whoever I can to make it happen. And, you know, maybe ruffle some feathers along the way, because that might be a thing that has to happen. But, you know, I'm going to be there to advocate for the people, not going to be there to, you know, have corporate interest on speed dial to write me a check. That's never what I'm going to be about.
1: Love it, man. I love it, man. You're, uh, you're fighting the good fight. I will say I've been super impressed with just you know, your, your pure articulation of, right, the things that you, you know, feel strongly about, like, you know, the work that you've been doing, your ability to talk about that. Um, you know, I can definitely see you, you know, representing me, representing, you know, other folks uh, and, and doing a great job and making sure you're putting the people's interest first. Um, I know, right, a lot of people out there maybe want to be more involved in politics, but maybe not, don't know how, don't know where to start. You know, maybe they feel like they don't have the time. Um, I don't know if there's something you can point you know you can point some of these people in the right direction on you know maybe what they can do um you know from home, maybe not from home, just to get more involved um, Cause quite frankly, a lot of people are you know upset with the current state of things but just don't really know what they can do to help,
2: yeah, definitely, and I get that, and it's again that we're in a system that feels as if it is not designed for regular folks to be involved in, um which totally. Totally, something that resonates to me. You know, my mom wasn't really an active voter, and up until about 2016, so I grew up around a lot of people who weren't really interested in this sort of stuff. And I think if you know you have that one person in the group who's really interested in politics, just pushing the margins and consistently having conversations with people you care about all the time to remind them the important implications of this stuff. I think people think it's a joke. Like I've I've heard people who said I, I voted for Donald Trump because I thought it was funny or whatever, and it's like, well, you think it's funny? The kids are in cages. Folks are losing their health care. Millions of Americans are out of jobs. You know, the corporations are doing well, but you and I are not doing so well. You know, just having those real conversations because I think we are able to cut through the noise in a way that the media isn't able to. In the way that if I called the stranger and they said, hey, you're just some political operative that's trying to get me to support your candidate because they write you a check every two weeks, so do the work. You know, when you talk to your cousins and your neighbors and your mom and, you know, any other relatives or friends, about this stuff, I think it particularly resonates with them a little bit more than it would from a stranger. Again, it's relational organizing. Um, The messenger being more effective than the message sometimes is big. And then also, yeah, it's this other phenomenon called like vote tripling, which is making sure three friends are registered to vote and have a plan to vote, just making that plan increases. I don't know the exact numbers on it. I went to Iowa. They only taught me shapes. (laughs) They did not teach me math. Um, But (laughs) We love big 10 schools, but yeah, you know, just checking in on your people and making sure that they got uh, the resources to go out there and exercise their voice because political elites love when people think that it doesn't matter and they shouldn't show up. Just that kind of stuff. And then also, you know, you could check out what they're doing at vote save America. It's an offshoot of the pod save America stuff. Uh, they got an adopt a state thing that they work with organizing together. The group I worked with um, where people could adopt the battleground state and get involved with local organizers to make calls, send texts, all that kind of stuff, or even visiting a website called mobilize America and punching in your zip code will show you a number of opportunities to get involved in your local area. So you'll see, you know, local congressional candidates, having phone banks, you'll see stuff like planned parenthood, and Neighbor all hosting events. Um, just got to shout out those organizations for, Uh, the work they do for reproductive freedom and, you know, ensuring the government doesn't really intervene in a woman's right to choose because I just need to go on on a side tangent here. I cannot believe the Republican Party that says women, you know, should not have the right to do what they want to do with their own bodies while at the same time touting individual freedom, liberty, and autonomy and non-government intervention. But it's like very convenient for them to intervene in that sort of stuff. Like I get – i don't know it's a whole thing Uh, but
1: there's a lot there's a lot of that within that party um and honestly man i can't do what you do as far as have conversations with these people and you know try to get them to see the you know the other side or get them to maybe uh realize maybe their 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 opinions and their beliefs might be a little you know uh wrong convoluted or <laughs> or hypocritical in ways. um I, I i can't do it man and, I, and it's something i'm trying to work on right like i pretty much write most of them off most <laughs> to be completely honest um so i appreciate people like you who are actually you know engaging these folks because the only way to really um make a change is to you know reach out to, the, to these people and have these conversations talk to them about you know what's going on right now currently and why it's unfair for 99.9% of Americans and making them kind of realize that they have more in common with the people that they hate than the people that they support. If that makes sense.
2: Yeah, definitely. And then, you know, if anyone's just listening to this, I hope hope folks are listening to this. I'm just teasing you guys. I know you guys got your (laughs) views. yeah, just uh, you can connect with me online too. And I could get you set up. I know people all over the place doing this work. Push them my way, and I'll get them set up or uh, give them resources of where they can go to set themselves up.
0: We'll make yeah, sure do you it. want to uh, do real quick? We'll we'll leave it in the link too, like Drew's about to mention. But do you want to just let anyone know where they could find you on you know Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and then if whatever campaigns you're working on, if there's websites for that as well, you want people to check out?
2: Yeah, definitely. My Twitter is at loss underscore angelus 329 cheesy shit don't make fun of me um and uh facebook just my first name angel middle initial a my middle name's anthony no one probably cared and my last name's alicia it's spelled a-l-i-c-e-a Please look me up on there i won't give you my insta um i don't need people creeping But yeah, you can probably find me on there, too, if that's what you're into. But yeah, um, right now, working for the South Carolina Coordinated Campaign, and my main candidates that I'm working directly with are Jamie Harrison running for U.S. Senate against Lindsey Graham. You all might know him as the guy who called Trump a race-baiting, xenophobic, religious bigot, and then went around to say, I don't, in exact words, I don't believe he's a race-baiting, xenophobic, religious bigot. I don't think he's a kook, all this stuff. It was very convenient when Lindsey Graham was running for president against Donald Trump, and then it's a whole thing just like a net
0: it's crazy um, he's got the weakest chin in congress both metaphorically and physically <laughs> check it out he has almost no chin so it's, look it up everyone
1: it's incredible what you you can you can pull those videos of even like marco <laughs> rubio tech oh yeah um Sorry. lindsey graham they've all they've all you can put videos literally maybe no. of them saying one thing and then going back and saying oh i've always fully supported donald
2: yeah, and it's like Donald Trump insulted Ted Cruz's uh, Ted Cruz's wife, and then also said that his dad killed JFK or whatever. <laughs> the Zodiac That's killer. That's <laughs> real. But yeah, you guys should check out uh, Jamie Harrison. Really great guy. Uh, raised by a single, oh, born to a single teenage mom, raised by his grandparents in Orangeburg, South Carolina. Worked his ass off and made something of himself. Is now going to make sure that that promise of America is renewed. He's going to bring back hope. And also Joe Cunningham, he's a congressman down in the low country. Look up the ad on YouTube. Cheers. Joe Cunningham, cheers. It's a beer commercial. It's amazing. You'll love it. But yeah, that's what I got for you.
1: I'll check it out, brother. I'll check it out, brother. I appreciate the time that you took to you know, give this interview. Now, I did want to ask you one more thing before we let you go. Now, this is non-politics related. What's the first thing you want to do, man, when the world is you know, 95 99% normal? maybe 2022, maybe sometime towards the middle or the end of 2021. Um, but what, you know, what, what's one thing that you're, you know, you're looking forward to the most.
2: The thing that's kicking into my head right now is those Corona commercials. I'm talking the beer, not the virus. The find your boots. <laughs> I'm going to find my beach with my girlfriend and we're going to sit in that beach and we're going to drink Coronas until the sun sets. There, you,
1: there you go, brother. That's I'll awesome.
2: have Fortillo's beef too. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's awesome, man. Again, appreciate the time man. Uh, amazing work that you're doing. I know one day you're going to be representing, you know, a large portion of, um, you know, society, whether that's, you know, locally on a state level, on a federal level, I know you're gonna be doing a great job and I know you'll always have the people's interest first.
2: Yeah, definitely. This is awesome, man. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. If you listened this far out, thanks for hearing my insufferable voice for about an hour but yeah, let's go make history. We got a lot to do to make this country what it really should be.
0: Love to hear it, man. Honestly, best of luck to you. You know, hopefully things go our way. November third, and uh, when we're all in Chicago, me, you, Drew, get ourselves a couple beers and a beef together. How's that sound?
2: I love the sound of it. And let's not bank on hope. Let's just keep the sleeves rolled up, foot on the gas pedal all, all gas, the way through no November, brace. and then for yeah, exactly, you already know.
1: All gas, no breaks, baby. Thanks a lot, Angel. I appreciate the time, brother.
2: Yeah, take care. See you guys later, man.
1: See ya.